2024 is the year of podcasts, and we want to let you know about a brand new show that is live right now. Join with me to share the good news about the Worthy of Everything podcast. It's just one of the two hosts, Jaja Lasso. Jaja, you've been working on this podcast in the background. Our team has been very excited as we've been preparing for its launch. How does it feel to know that the episodes finally are out there and we're moving forward every single week? It is so exciting and I am just excited to see where God takes it and I have so much hope that it is going to be an incredible blessing to the listeners. Amen, amen. But as I understand it, this is a show tackling the issues of mental health through the lens of the gospel. Can you share just a little bit more about the heart and the intent and who you're really trying to serve through the Worthy of Everything podcast? So I personally was freed from depression and as I've come to understand my freedom from sin and identity in Christ, I start to recognize all these amazing gifts that God has given us. So yeah, just exploring and hearing awesome testimonies about how to walk out true intimacy with a loving father who pursues his kids. Oh man, sounds like a good time. If you want to check out the show, lovereality.org slash podcasts and look for the Worthy of Everything show. The world doesn't think that the gospel can change your life, but we know that it can. And that's why we want you to hear these stories, stories of transformation, stories of freedom, people getting free from sin and healed from sin because of Jesus. This is Death to Life. I was a walking contradiction for years because I was so deeply loving, but I was so viciously angry. And the two would just go to absolute war with one another, and you never knew who was going to win. Um, then the switch of like now knowing that what makes me who I am is whose I am. I belong to Jesus. Yo, this is the Death Alive podcast. My name is Richard Young. And today's episode is with my girl, Jania, and I met Jania a few years ago, a couple years ago, and seeing her life lived is just beautiful, and how creative she is. I don't want to step on the podcast, because it's dope, because he loves us so much. So uh, with that all being said, buckle up, strap in, love y'all, and appreciate y'all. Here's Jania. This is real talk, God is loving on me Colorful and innocent, that's on me Got me standing in the light and it's on me It's a new heart, it's a new beat It's a new thing, it's a new seed It's a new thing, it's a new dream It's a new heart, it's a new beat yeah. Got me singing like Love Got me singing like Got me singing like So where do you think Where do you think your story When it comes to spirituality And knowing who God is And what he's done Where do you think that starts for you? Um, I would say I would say about 17 My senior year of high school Um I was pretty angry up until then. So I'd say I'd say 17 senior year. What were you angry about? Uh, <laughs> just a little bit of everything. Just like 
life and just feeling unloved and unseen and rejected. And um, God really sent some people in my life when I was younger to try to reach me, but I was like pushing them out. Like I remember my religion teacher, I went in, I got into it with him in the middle of class. And um, as we were all leaving, he uh, he was like, Jania, and I turned around. I was like 14, I turned around, I was so angry. And he looked at me and he said, there's hope. And I remember I liked him a lot as a teacher and I didn't want to like disrespect him or anything. So I just kind of nodded my head, but I was so angry. He was like, there's hope and I left class. But like, yeah, just feeling unseen, unwanted, unloved. And that translation from people kind of played into my view of God. Since I felt that way from people, I was like, I feel unseen, unknown and unloved by the father because that's how I feel about how I've been seen by people. So what were the circumstances surrounding your feelings? Like why were these, you know, feelings come from a thought? What were, what was going on in your life up till 17 that had you believing that you were not seen, you were unloved? Um, just kind of the people I grew up around and with, it was very like, I was always needing to be fixed or altered. Um, nobody ever called me good. Nobody ever called me okay. I always had to be smaller or prettier or faster or smarter. Or like I used to be told that I had to be the smartest person in the room. I had to do the best thing always. And I was only, I was only shown love and affection when I was compliant, when I was doing what everybody needed me to do, when I was everything that everybody needed me to be. Then and only then was I valued. And then and only then was I loved. And so because I was never, I wasn't shown affection unless I was performing optimally at all times. I had to be, I had to be the straight A student. I had to be the best athlete. I had to be the best friend. I had to be self-sacrificial and no one, nobody loved me unless I was of value to them. And that's what made me feel worthless because I had to work for my worth and I had to work for my love there was like a, it was like this imaginary list hanging above my head that I had to complete all of these things in order for somebody to value me. Um, and then I would accomplish that thing. I would do that thing that they wanted me to do. And then it would be, oh, do this next thing, do this next thing. And it was never enough for anybody in my life. And uh, that's what kind of made me feel that way. I was always being fixed. Like since birth, I've always been treated like I was something broken, like a misfit toy. And uh, I was always, I always had to be altered. And that's what kind of, uh, that's what made me feel that way. I was, uh, yeah. Do you, do you really, and this is sincere, so if, if, did you really believe that you weren't loved and so it manifested? Or do you really think that you were set aside? Like in reality, people had set you aside. I'd say or did both. You just feel it, it. Yeah. I'd say both if that's possible. I'd say um I felt that way, but then that was actually done to me. Like I didn't I didn't get a smile or a hug or a laugh unless I was unless I was valuable, unless I was um performing well, unless I was the straight A student, um, the good friend, and I was uh I was I was ignored and um, I wasn't invited and I wasn't welcomed. 
unless I was um, doing something. Actually, that's my whole my whole book is about that, <laughs> just about that girl. Um, that was uh, I was ignored unless mm. some, unless somebody needed me for something. Like in high school specifically, it was I used to take tests for people and I used to write papers for people. I used to stay up till two, three a.m writing other people's five page papers because I knew that when I turned it in for them the next day, they, they would be like, Oh, Jania, you're awesome. Jania, I love you. Jania, you're so great. Like, and, but other than that, I was not spoken to. <laughs> wow. And so you say this manifested in what you believe about how God saw you, right? Yeah. I was like, if, um, if his children, his people, didn't love or see or value me, then why would he? And I thought that my life was fashioned the way that it was because he didn't value me. Other people in my life didn't value me because he didn't. So that's how I was, that's how I was seen. Like, um, Jesus didn't love me, therefore, and then so the people that he created also didn't love me. And so it kind of translated. And that's where that anger came from. Just like I was always, I kind of felt like an experiment a little bit. <laughs> I was always being proked and prodded and fixed. There was always something wrong with me. Down in my name, like um, being younger, everybody mispronounced my name. And they would rename me and or they would come up to me all the time. Why is your name so difficult? Why is your name so hard? And they would give me a new name. Or <laughs> so the, the deepest parts of identity, my literal name was a problem for people. And it just went up from there. My name, my personality, my face, everything about me was an issue for somebody. Somebody had a problem with every layer of me down to my name. And so I was like, if this is how people see me, this must be how the father sees me. Did you ever think about changing your name? Yeah. <laughs> um, my sister, uh, for a long time, I wanted to be renamed Emmanuel. And uh, hmm. my sister, sh she brings it up sometimes because she's like, when you were little, I started putting that on my papers. I used to put in my name uh, in like middle school, I used to put Emmanuel <laughs> instead of Chinia. And the teacher could never figure out. She's like, who is this? <laughs> so um, I did that for a couple years. I tried to go by my middle name. Uh, my middle name is Ashlyn. And um, so I tried to go by my middle name. I changed my name to Jay. People just called me Jay. And then in high school, it changed to Jan. And then recently, in uh, and even on my first book, it's Jan Ashlyn. My full name is not on my first book. And so um, it was, uh, I didn't take back, take back my name until uh, 2020. And I was like, I want to go by my full name now because there's nothing broken or wrong about it. I love my name. My name means God is gracious in Hebrew. And I never oh, knew wow. that for I never knew that for years, but then I looked it up one time and I was like, "That's kind of cool." So yeah, that's kind of cool. <laughs> I took it back. I took my name back, but yeah. <laughs> so because you were so angry, because of all this hurt, like you're just protecting yourself. How did that look? What did your anger look like? Um, it came out not to get too triggering or dark or anything, but it, it came out in a lot of ways. Uh, I uh, struggled with like different eating disorders. I struggled with self-harm, um, really self-deprecating thoughts. And, like I used to, I used to pray 
to whoever was listening. And I was like, can I not wake up tomorrow? I know that's rough, but like, that's what I used to tell myself. And, uh, that was me. I was always like, I don't want to be here anymore, dude. <laughs> like, I don't take me out. And, uh, and then, and that's when it would start. I would start the day angry because I woke up. That's what would make me angry. I was like, why am I up? Why am I alive? Like that, that was my life. I was like, why am I here? And that, and that's, that's what kicked off the anger because I had woken up that morning. And, uh, so yeah, it came out. I was, I was pretty feisty and, uh, <laughs> I would, uh, I would talk to people in unkind ways and, uh, I would, uh, it was weird because it almost felt like the real me was always trying to get out because there were some days where I was having like a good day and, um, uh, there's this one girl <laughs> that her parents didn't like allow her to have sugar. So I used to pack extra snacks in my lunch and bring them to her <laughs> and feed them to her. And so I was, um, I was the shoulder that got cried on. I was the best hug and like all those different things. I was so the real me, the one that is kind and loving and all these different things would always come out. Mm -hmm. But then it was like, it was fighting with the angry me because it was like, which one of you are we going to be today? Which one of you? is winning today and so it almost felt like i had like a split personality and it was like well i'm angrier okay well i'm more loving so if we, so if we get if we get in a fight who's gonna win who are we gonna be today and uh that was that was how that manifested i was a walking contradiction for years because i was so deeply loving but i was so viciously angry and the two would just go to absolute war with one another and you never knew who was gonna win how did you speak to yourself? Um, it was dark. <laughs> I would tell myself that I'm worthless. I would tell myself that I'm unloved and unlovable. And um, I would tell myself that I was just, I was nothing. I was nothing. And I would hate, I, I hated myself. And I was, um, I'd look in the mirror. I remember I, I struggled with mirrors for years. Um, looking in the mirror, I would burst into tears, just looking. I used to avoid reflective windows, um, bathroom mirrors, um, school mirrors, uh, glass cases, like the trophy cases in high school. I was like, don't look, don't look, don't look. Because the second I looked, I would just cry or I would get angry because that girl that I saw, she was just not worth anything, anything at all. <laughs> and, uh, that's, that's how I talk to myself every day. And I used to actually feel more comfortable in that space. I felt more comfortable hating myself than I did loving myself. I was like, you are worthless. It's like my thoughts would say something, my inner self would agree, and we would kind of move that way. And my thoughts were like, you're worthless. And then my inner self was like, yeah, I am. <laughs> and I would go about my day. And that was me, that was, that was who I was. Did you believe that you had more depth because you were depressed and that you hated yourself? Did you like, yeah. did you pre like own that depth and like, oh, the, who I actually am is this deep person that you guys can't see from the outside, but in here I'm tormenting myself and that like, did that give you any comfort or? It, um, to me, sometimes there's nothing more terrifying than being loved because like being loved means being known. 
And so in those moments, like, that's what I believed. And I thought that, um, so yeah, that I got that depth. I thought that's what gave me character. I thought my depression, my sadness, my worthlessness, or my, my thought that I was worthless is what gave me value. Being undervalued was my value. Like, I identified with the weakest part of myself or the part that I told myself existed. And um, I was like, this is what makes me, it, it, it bled into my art, like my poetry, um, everything I did was out of this dark place. And I thought that darkness was character. I thought that darkness was value. Like I was always, um, all my, all my dark poetry and all my emotional moments. I thought that that's what gave me like my, my depth. I was like, I'm so, I'm so intuitive. I see the world the way that I see the world in a way that nobody else does because when you're invisible, your world is awfully quiet. And so when you're the wallflower, when you're the observer, you get to see people and you get to know people and um, you become you become that intuition. And so, yeah, that's what I thought. What kind of art were you taking in like that was influencing you that you would get inspiration from during these times? I would literally Google stuff about being sad <laughs> and um, like just really dark poetry about nobody noticing, about nobody seeing, about nobody loving, nobody, nobody caring. And I felt, I felt so vindicated. I was like, yeah, look at all, look at all these other sad people. They get me. And <laughs> so, uh, uh, yeah. And then I would, uh, I would befriend, like I had a friend that had this Facebook that she had like 2000 friends and half of them she had either like never met or like they were just like internet friends. So then I joined, I made a second Facebook, like a secret Facebook and okay. I friended her and all of her 2000 internet friends and we were just all sad together. <laughs> and so, um, they would post sad stuff and I'd post more sad stuff and we were just all, it's just a sad party. <laughs> the sads, all of the sads, the sads. all the sads. <laughs> so when you get to this point where you're 17 and you're, and you're in this religion class, do you remember the context of what he was saying that drove you to be like, this is, this is trash? Well, the, that moment in religion class actually happened when I was 14. But oh, my, okay. this, this spiritual aspect, when I started like wondering about God a little bit more, so I was like, maybe he isn't this tyrant. <laughs> That's what happened when I was 17. But um, uh, when, you were, when you mentioned, when you asked about the anger, I feel like the, the anger was like shown, the anger played out in that scene when I was younger, 14 in religion class. And then I started being a little bit more curious about Jesus when I was 17. And, uh, so when he said yeah. there was hope, did you believe him? The, uh, deep down I did. I, I, I remember there was a part of me that was like, there's a part of me that at least wanted to, um, it was, it was, it was toppled by a lot of anger is all just anger just sitting on top of it, kind of suppressing, pushing everything down. And uh, there's a part of me that when he said oh. there's hope, it was because that religion teacher, I trusted him so much and I respected him so much. And so, and I think that's like how the creator, that's how the father designed it because he used people that I loved and respected to get to me. 
because that religion teacher, I, he, I really respected him because he like saw, there were most, there were a lot of teachers in high school that like, they don't really, they don't really, they don't really get you. Like, they're just like, here, here's this assignment. But like, he actually like saw us as people and he took the things that we said seriously. We weren't just these stupid rowdy teenagers. We were human beings with thoughts and feelings. And I really respected that. And so I was the part of me that respected him. I was like, I really want to believe what you're saying right now because it's coming from you. Hmm. And, um, and so I think, I think the father fashioned that pretty perfectly. So he used the people in my life that I respected to, to try to get to me. But yeah, um, the concept, the context of that conversation was, uh, the point of it all. We were talking about the world and what was the point of all of this? And I was like, I remember I spoke up in class and I was like, God's just playing a game with us. Where these like these little pawns, these little toys that he just wants to see how much we can suffer, see how much pain he can put us through. And that was me. I was like, what? That was my, that was my argument. I was like, what's the point of all of this? What's the point? Why are we here? And me and him were, I was, uh, I wasn't, I wasn't yelling or anything. I didn't like cause a scene. But I was like speaking up in class and I was like, what's the point? Why are we doing this? Hmm. Um, so we were leaving class that day, little angry 14 year old Jania. And he was like, there's hope. And I just kind of nodded and left. So at 17, what started being revealed to you about <laughs> God? Um, love. I... I stopped being so angry <laughs> and uh, I kind of, it kind of eased because I'd started to find my place in the world a little bit. Um, I didn't feel as unseen. Deep down, it was still kind of there, but I didn't feel as unseen. I didn't feel as unknown or unworthy. And um, so I was, uh, I was like running for class office and uh, I was, I joined sports teams and I had friends, I, I like I had friends and I had little things, and so I, uh, loving them, showing up for them, being a friend, and um, just the less angry I was, and then I really liked, it was music. I loved music, and so Christian music, I would hear, like, I used to love, I still do, uh, How He Loves, the Crowder song. I love mm -hmm. that song. I love that song, mm -hmm. and it was, so I'm a very, I'm really into, like, just like art and creativity and stuff. So music, music really speaks to me. And so I would go to these worship nights or I would go to church or I would listen to songs. And it was just all this love in the lyrics. And I'm like, what is this? And you know, for the girl that was unloved, if I see love anywhere, I'm like, what is this? <laughs> can, like, can I have some of this? <laughs> and so um, I started listening to just a lot of Christian music and it, it lifted my spirit, even though I didn't like believe it yet. And then, um, I started just, um, when I ran for class office at the end of junior year, I was, uh, I was essay treasurer and I won. And then that next year I was so happy and excited because I was like, I get to play in all the social events. I get to do, I get to work in the essay booth, which was like this like snack booth thing at our school. Mm -hmm. And, um, I was like, I get to hang out with, uh, I was really good friends with all the people that were on essay. Mm -hmm. So we would just hang out all the time and it was just, it was fun. But I was, I was excited feeling, feeling worthy, feeling valued, feeling like I had a purpose that made me happy. 
And then I was like, I was listening to these songs about love and then it combined the two. And I guess that's what made me curious. And so 17. Oh, and like every year we used to go to this, this thing called prayer conference. It's mm-hmm. down at Camp Kalakwa in High Springs, Florida. And I loved going. I loved those moments where I used to tell people it was just me, God, and the wind. Mm-hmm. I loved going to all those conferences and stuff and just listening to stuff about Jesus. And it, it was a, it was, it was nice, but then it, it didn't really hit home until I was 17. Cause uh, we were in, we were at, we were at prayer conference. It was my last one senior year. And this guy is up front and he's talking about love. And I didn't hear most of what he was saying. I kind of tuned out. And then he did the altar call. And I've, I don't go up for altar calls unless everybody goes up for an altar call. Like student week of prayer, usually everybody gets up. So I get up too. Mm-hmm. And um, so then I'm like completely tuned out. And then one, <laughs> and then two seconds later, I'm walking to the front of the stage. I don't remember deciding to get up. I don't remember deciding to go up there. It's just all of a sudden from not paying attention at all mm-hmm. to I am sobbing my way up to the altar. I am absolutely, like, I'm just crying. And I'm like at the front of uh, the front of the chapel at Kalakwa and I'm just crying. And I'm like, why am I, what's going on? Like, why am I up here? And uh, so then after the altar call, usually that Saturday morning was baptisms before we all go home. So then that Friday night, they separate all the schools and they're like, hey, you guys go pray with your students that came up. And so uh, College Academy was always the biggest school at prayer conference. So then it's like, t- it's like 20 of us, 15, 20, we go behind the stage. And then one of my friends that was on essay, I'm still crying. And so he hugs me and I try to like, not, not like aggressively or anything, but I keep trying to tell him, I'm like pushing him off a little bit. I'm like, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. And he didn't say anything. All he did was hug me tighter. Every mm. time I tried to pull away, he kept wrapping his arms around me. And then I heard this audible voice in my ears. And the father said, this is what it is. This is who I am. Mm. And hearing that, that's when I was like, oh, wait. I was like, because it was um, before. I used to love going to prayer conferences, worship nights, all that stuff. But it was just like that little feel-good moment, all those mountaintop moments. Like It was, it was a cool sentiment. I was like, oh, Jesus, he's, he's cool. He's nice. Like, that's, that's okay. Like, this is great. Jesus is like awesome for you guys. But, and I appreciate that. And I love the music, but like for me personally, I don't think this man loves me. Um, I was like, there's, there's no way. Look at me. Look at all the people that don't. So it's like, why would he? And, um, but then that, that, and then one of my friends, he just kept hugging me. And so I'm sobbing in this guy's arms. (laughs) I'm like, what are we doing out here? And um, and I almost got baptized that weekend. I almost did, but I was just too scared. <laughs> and uh, so, have you seen uh, Have you seen Goodwill Hunting? Uh, no, I've heard of it though. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what happens. <laughs> I feel like it's the most. I talk about that movie the most in, on this podcast. And there's just this scene at the end where um, Will is this guy who's an orphan and. But he's an incredible genius, and um, he, in order to, to get the scholarship at uh, MIT, he has to be, he has to, to go to counseling. And uh, there's this one scene at the end where the counselor is saying, it's not your fault. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I know. And he's like, no, it's not your fault. And he's like, I know. 
Like, it's not your fault. He's like, I know. And then he, like, grabs, the counselor grabs his face and he says, it's not your fault. And Will just breaks down and starts crying because he had never really believed that it wasn't his fault. Like, this whole time. And so when you're talking about, like, your friend hugging you and you're like, I'm fine. And he's like, no, I'm not going to stop hugging you until you're like, oh, maybe, maybe God is like, like this. Maybe, mm-hmm. like, this expression of love that I'm feeling from a friend is, like, if it doesn't come from God, where does it come from? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember. I was trying so hard. I was like, I'm good. I'm good. And he just kept, like, just kept tighter. He's like, no, nope, you're going to stay right here. And I'm just sobbing. And then I look up, and, like, you could see my tears on his shirt. And I'm like, I am so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I just cried all over you and he's like he's like it's fine like what do you it's fine it's okay but uh so then yeah there's this lie that we believe that we are not worth someone else's attention or they're like we're all we we end up self-deprecating and like well my opinion doesn't mean anything and uh i shouldn't speak because what do i have to say and so we hold ourselves back and we're reserved because, well, who wants to hear? I don't want to be an inconvenience. I don't want to be in anybody's way. And it's, it's all about this lie that we don't have value enough to be heard. And you had been fed that lie from Jump Street. Was like, mm-hmm. you're not valued enough to be, to be heard. So then, yeah. What happens next? What as you're as you're moving on and you're in your adolescence as you're getting into college, um, like what, what, what did you start seeing? Uh, I started, uh, started reading the Bible more. Um, cause of course growing up seven day Adventist, there's just some parts of the Bible that you already know. So but I started yeah. reading it more and also reading it for myself. And, uh, I think that that sense of purpose that I got from being, being elected onto the student association board. And I was in, I was in the senior choir I was doing stuff. And so being a part of things made me feel like valued. So then um, every time something happened at another school, all the Adventist schools would get together and like send cards. Our school would get together. We'd send cards to that school. And so I told our school pastor, I was like, I'm in charge of this. I want to do this. And so I would go get the table and the markers and the paper. I was like, I was always excited to like show love to other people. And then week of prayer when it was time for like gardener prayer, at, um, up front of the, in the front of the chapel, I was the okay. first one up there, and it was like it was it was the motions of it made me happy, even though it hadn't hit the innermost sections of me. Do, going through the motions of like being a child of God or like being a Christian or whatever it was, okay. I loved all the prayers and stuff like that. And then so I was so excited. There's still some things I didn't understand, but I was I was so excited to like be that girl, the one that got the one that prayed and the one that like. I started getting up on stage and like doing like chapel talks and um, I would write them down. I was so excited. I was like, yay, whatever. Like this Jesus thing is kind of cool. And so um, I started prayer journeying a lot. And then when I got to college. Um, Hold on. What were your chapel like, talks consisting of? <laughs> I did one. I did two. Maybe I did three. I think I did two. Okay. So I did one on n- like not compromising not compromising like who you, okay i'm a liar i did three the first one I, the first one i ever did was about the after 
Um, and as I talked about, I talked about something that happened at first, after the first day of school, our school had this thing called icebreaker and I lost my wallet at icebreaker. And it turns out that I left my wallet in my friend's backpack. And so, but in that moment, I was absolutely, I was hyperventilating, freaking out. But then an hour later, she's like, Hey, you left your wallet. I wasn't thinking about the after. I wasn't thinking about like the other side of the trial. So I talked about that in chapel. I was like, nobody ever, like, you never think about the stuff that God has planned in the after. And uh, so that was my, that was my very first one. And um, I remember freshman year, I gave God, I gave like, like myself, whoever, freshman year, I was like five things I would not do. And one of them was a chapel talk. And I ended up doing three in my senior year. So I thought mm-hmm. that was funny. And then my second one was about love, about feeling unloved, but knowing that the father loves you. Mm-hmm. And then um, my third one was about not compromising who you are. And it was based on, I think it was the, se- I think it's second Timothy four. Don't let anyone, don't let anyone look down on you because you were young. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like that's in second Timothy. I'm not sure, but I did it on that verse. And um, I was just like, no, you guys are, we can all do great stuff because just because we're young doesn't count us out. And so those are the, those are the three that I did. And then um, pretty sure one of them is still up on the, on CA's website. <laughs> that's awesome um, uh, yeah those are the three chapel talks I did so then I get to I get to college and of course I'm still having fun like just Jesus is cool yay and so <laughs> I was like I'm gonna start a life group I'm gonna do all this stuff in college I'm gonna be the Christian not a Christian the Christian and I'm gonna do everything Jesus related on 10 and <laughs> it's like every day it's all great um, so then none of those things really happened. Like I remember joining, I remember joining a life group mm-hmm. and it was just, uh, um, not underwhelming, but like, I was so excited. I was like to be, I was like to be on a, cause I went to an Adventist school, I went to Southern for my mm-hmm. first year and, um, being at Southern, I was like, this is Jesus central. Cause I'm like, this is an Adventist Christian college. This is where if Jesus is anywhere, he is here. <laughs> I'm going to hang out here. And I love surrounding myself with like Christian people and all that stuff like that. And so getting there, I found myself like not disappointed, but just like, well, where's, where's all the, where's the worship nights? And like, they had those things, but I don't know. I just felt like what it is. Actually, I still have the journal entries. I still have what I wrote before I went to college. And I was like, where's all that stuff that I thought I was going to find? I was like, you're going to go on every mission trip and you're going to go <laughs> do all these crazy things. It's like, you're going to be the top Christian Adventist ever. You're going to be the best. And none of that stuff happened. So I found myself kind of disappointed, but I still kept looking. I think uh, when I was younger, I was so willing and ready to give up on Jesus. But by the time I was like 17, 18, I was like, okay, you're, you're somewhere. Oh. You are somewhere and I'm going to come find you because oh. it's like, you're, you're somewhere in this. And so I would, I was like, maybe you're not here. You're not here, but you're somewhere. Usually when I was younger, I would have given up. They'd be like, no, he hates me. I hate him. We're done. Like we're done. (laughs) But like when I was, when I got older, I was like, you're somewhere in this. And so I kept looking and I kept reading and uh, I kept going like to Vespers and um, I kept showing up. And uh, then, uh, but then in the other half of that, I was, uh, I was, uh, like hanging out with my friends and like going to parties and I was the designated driver. So, uh, I was always driving people around, making people, making sure people got home safe. And, um, cause like 
I was a uh, I was around it all, but um, I never I feel like to put into the energy of like drinking and like drinking alcohol and stuff like that. You have to figure out if you're a lightweight. You have to figure out how much you can handle. You have to figure out if you get sick. And like mm-hmm. drinking alcohol, that just it sounded like too much energy. So I never did it. Like I've never I've never done any stuff like that. But I was always there. I was always yeah. around it. And I was always the one getting everybody home safe. Again, putting my putting my love, my worth into my actions. Yeah. Um, I was the 3 a.m. phone call when somebody needed to get home. Um, I was the girl pulling my friends or just people I knew off of boys that wanted to take like advantage of them or something like that. I was. I was the I was the first phone call. I was the first response, and so it was like I didn't. Uh, I felt kind of split because I would be at Vespers, texting people about the party I was going to that night. <laughs> we would be sitting in the row, going through addresses on Snapchat. Like, where are we going? And so um, that was it. Was interesting, and that was my that was my that was my one that was my first and only year of college. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, so, but then in that same instance, I kept looking, I kept looking. And, uh, so then, uh, let's see, where are we? 2017. So May of, uh, May of 2017, my best friend's boyfriend got in a motorcycle accident and passed away. So, um, and I remember before we found out we were both in Florida, we're on opposite ends of Florida. I was in Navarre, she was in Orlando, and we get a call from, there was this whole group of people that we hung out with. It was like this one mom and then her daughter, and then it was like a bunch of Southern students. It was like 20 or 30 of us. We called it the tribe, and we were always hanging out at the mom's house. And so one of our tribe members, he passed away. And so 11 o'clock that evening before we found out, I get a call from the daughter, and she's like, have you seen him? Have you, where is he? And I was like, I don't, I don't know. I'm in Florida. I haven't seen him. Um, maybe you should call my friend. Maybe you should, maybe you should call her. And then mm-hmm. that next morning, I get a list of text messages from her. And the top text message, and she, I knew something was wrong because she never sends text messages like that. I'm the one that talks in sentences where I'm like texting 50 million times a minute. She always sends one. So she sends a row and I knew something was wrong. The top, mm. the top text said forever. And then when you go down, it says, that he died oh, and man. I was just and I, I sat up in bed and I just started screaming and I'm in I'm in a I'm in a condo with my parents and uh and I'm just sobbing and so that happened and then um again I was still looking even in that I was like okay Jesus I am aware that you were good I am aware that you were loving mm-hmm. and so I'm not gonna blame you for this but I would love to know where you are in this. So um, I remember that time I kind of cut out any and all things. Like we we didn't, leading up to that moment, we'd be kind of getting burnt. We kind of, me and my friends had been getting burned out from partying. Like we just, we didn't like going anymore. It smelled weird. And like it was, we were, t- we were tired. And so we just, we stopped. And then like we, we would go like every, like every other month. And we would only stay for like an hour and it was, it's just, we got over it. But then when he passed away, me and my best friend, we were done. Oh. We, we used to get messages and stuff about, uh, like parties and other stuff like that. We wouldn't reply. We stopped replying. We stopped talking. We were done. And because we wanted to be with, uh, like the tribe people. And so we, um, he had a whole weekend of services 
and I kind of stayed, I stayed, um, at that house the whole time. It was kind of back and forth. I would go home. I didn't want to cry around her because I was trying to be strong for her because like that was her, that was somebody she loved. So it was different than me. I was just his friend. They were so much more than that. So I was like, I was in charge of like holding her, making sure she blinked and ate and all that stuff like that. So, and then I would go around the corner at the church or I would go home and I would just like cry myself to sleep because I, I just missed him. And then, um, so then we get, we get through that. And after the cutoff of like all things that couldn't possibly be Jesus, or like maybe like, just like getting rid of like this, I guess the secular, um, I just started kind of listening exclusively to like a lot of Christian music. And I was just like reading, I was reading the Bible more. And then, um, it's like, that's what started it basically was, a. Uh, the searching hmm. and then when the, when the when the really hard things hit i was still looking hmm. um because i i had that i had that little whisper that little thing gnawing at me i was like he is he is good and he is loving so therefore and then so he has got to be somewhere in this hmm. and so i i kept looking for him and then uh yeah it kind of it kind of went from there. I got involved with a lot of different things. Um, I tried looking for none of the pastors in my area, none of the churches. This is when I was still kind of legalism was still a thing in my head at that time. Um, so I was like, I don't really see any like Adventist mm-hmm. pastors and stuff. I was like, I don't really connect with anybody in my city. I was like, what if I can find somebody online? And so I started looking on YouTube for uh, like just pastors that I could connect with or like that was saying something that I understood. And so I found a few like non-denominational yeah. pastors and I found like some other stuff and I started doing like looking into that. And that gave me kind of a, a clearer picture of Jesus than like the seven day Adventist legalist upbringing kind of ever did. Not to say that like Adventism is bad or anything. I don't think it is, but it was like, I got a clear picture of a God that just loves and not a God that you have to earn that love. And yeah. so I just got a clear picture. So I was like, I was like looking at non-denominational stuff, but then, um, it got performative again. Um, Hmm. I dropped out of college because I was just, I was just not supposed to be there, dude. I don't know. Like that was, that was, that was my, that was my parents thing. They were like, you gotta go. And I was like, I don't want to go. But I I went, I I went for them and, uh, I, I went for them and it was just, I, I remember I used to skip classes and I had a designated table in the back of the library and I would sit there and I'd watch YouTube videos about the people I wish I was like all the creatives, all the people that were just kind of freelancing and creating full time. And I was, I used to watch their YouTube videos. I'm like, wow, to be you dude. Like <laughs> I was, uh, I was not supposed to be in college. I don't know whose idea that was. That was a terrible idea. Why was I there? And, um, I used to, I used to skip class. And uh, go sit in the back of the library for two, three, four, five, six hours, just kind of watching creative stuff. So, yeah. when when the pandemic hits, are you out of college by then? You're you're not in school anymore. Oh yeah, I dropped out twenty. I dropped. I left Southern in twenty seventeen. I tried a community college in twenty eighteen. Again, at like the behest of like my parents because they wanted me to like 
you need a degree. And I was like, why? <laughs> so um, I kept going for them. But then here's the thing. I would sign up for the classes and then I would feel so heavy about how much I didn't want to do this that I would drop out and then get a refund, <laughs> get a refund like a month later. And, um, and I, I would do it every semester. I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And then, then they'll, then they'll be happy. And so I would sign up for all these classes and then I would take a couple. And I was like, man, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> so then what, I would, when did the writing start for you? Oh, um, nine, 10. I didn't realize that I was a writer until I was 17, but I was writing, um, at like nine or 10 years old. Um, it's just something I did. It was something I loved. There are two things I did. I wrote stories and I designed, I designed and drew my own posters. Like I would find stuff on Google. It's like, that's a pretty picture. So now I would go and draw it and stick it on my wall. <laughs> or like my favorite song lyrics. Um, like a B.O.B. and Taylor Swift have this song called Airplanes. <laughs> oh, I remember I, it. That I love that song. I love that song. So I, I, I did the lyrics and I, I cut the lyrics out. Every word was a little cloud. And I stuck it all over my wall. <laughs> and then I have this one quote that I got from Tumblr. It's me being dramatic and emotional. It was called, uh, let, her, let her sleep for when she wakes, she will move mountains. And so I cut that out and I designed my own mountains out of paper and stuff. And I stuck that above my bed. And uh, I was always doing silly stuff like that. I made my own posters, my own emotional quotes. And uh, I was always writing um, everything I felt, everything I was. I put it on paper. Um, I'm surprised that I got... I got as good as, I was a straight A student in middle school and high school, a little bit of high school. But um, so in middle school, every time we had an English assignment, I would do everything in my power to turn it into a story. Like you're supposed to write a book report on George Washington. And all of a sudden it became this fictional story about how George Washington has wings. And like, <laughs> like <laughs> went all over the world. I did everything in my power to turn something into a story. I love telling stories. And somehow I got an A, so who knows? But yeah. Yo, you want the one-stop shop for all your gospel needs? <laughs> uh, my guy Addison made uh, our link tree, and it's moregoodgospel.com. So hit up moregoodgospel.com, and it will have all of, uh, all of the links that we have, the Bible study information, Love reality information, podcast stuff. That is moregoodgospel.com. At this point, was your inspiration and influence still the SADS? Or was it now transitioning to like how you like you run the world, like the beehive type thing? What what was inspiring you? Um, it wasn't much of the sad anymore. It was uh, it was more of the yes, I've been through it, but here I am now. Like, cause yeah. I didn't identify, I didn't identify with that girl. I I loved her. I appreciate I appreciated her because like she was real sad, but she she lived. She's still here. She may have changed. So, but um. I wasn't, I wasn't really sad anymore. I, I kind of gave up the sad when I was about 16. And uh, I, was, uh, I was still emotional, 
I still took things. I was still like, everything was like, everything was like heartfelt, like music, music and all that stuff like that. So, um, it was more of like an overcoming kind of thing. I was like, this is who I am now. And I'm, a I'm this intuitive, empathetic, creative. And, uh, that was like my personality. I was still, I still had that deep, but the deep in the deep wasn't sad. It was like intuition, knowing people and knowing life and understanding things and, um, maturity and growth. Um, that was more so where I was coming from. And then, so we get to 2018 and that's where I get the idea to write my first book. Mm -hmm. And, uh, that's what started that. Um, I was in Australia and, uh, cause I went, I went to New Zealand and Australia for two weeks. And, uh, so I was in, I was in, I was in Bondi beach in Australia and we we're at the salad place, me and my sister and my cousin, and we're all getting salads and then we get drinks. And then there was a choice between like pink lemonade and lemonade. And so I picked up the pink lemonade just cause I like, I wanted it. And I was like, and I asked myself, I was like, why do you, why are you picking pink lemonade over lemonade? And I was like, cause I don't know, pink lemonade is like a little bit more special. And that's where I got the idea for my first book. Because my first book is called Pink Lemonade and Other Extraordinary Things. And so that's where I got the idea of it. It's like sometimes people choose the pink lemonades of life, the extraordinary things over the ordinary people. And oh. so that was, that's where I got that idea. So then 2018, um, that's where I got the name for the book. But then we go from Bondi Beach, we go to Cannes, Australia. And uh, I'm in a hotel and it's uh, trying to fall asleep. Time's all whack because we're like 13, 12 hours. And so I'm on my, I'm in my phone on my little iPhone six, just typing out my book. And I was like, I would say this and this and this. And, uh, I can proudly say that everything I wrote in those notes is not in the book. <laughs> I, I cut all of that stuff in my post editing, but, um, so I just started writing it in 2018. Um, and it was, it was done. It was done in like the summer of 2019. Hmm. And I, I published it in October of 2019, October 18th, 2019. So that was, uh, I started seeing value in what I, in what I did. I was still a bit too engrossed in my identity. Like mm. me being a writer gave me worth. That's what, that's what got me up every morning is that I was mm. a creative, I was an artist. Like, um, I'm cool. <laughs> and so, right. Um, that's it. That's where I got that from. So now your identity is switching. And so, as as we're getting closer, I I don't know when we met. It's probably so, sometime in 2020. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it was at the end of 2020 or the in the middle. But tell me about how your life started changing in the pandemic and and uh, and what happened. Um, 2020 was rough. Was then uh, January, I went to this thing called Passion Conference. And it's a uh, Passion City Church. They put on this huge, like, three-day conference in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And they have all these cool artists come out and these speakers. Like, Hillsong was there. Elevation was there. Um, just, like, all these different groups. Carrie Job and Cody Carnes. Um, just different people. So, and that was, when I was, like, kind of looking into the, the non-denominational side of everything, I was like, oh, this is what non-denominational people do. Like, they get tattoos and they go to conferences. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's it. I, um, I went, I went there and then I was, I was very into the whole, 
like uh, faith is a performance, like verse in your bio, like always trying to like be the specific person. You have to wear the flat bill hat and the boots and the skinny jeans. And like, like, you have to look the part of these like Christian influencers. Not that they're bad. It's just like, they weren't me. I'm not like them. And yet I tried to force myself to be like them because I thought that was the only version of Christian that God would accept. Hmm. And so I was like, even though I am very not that, I tried to be that. And so even though passion was so much fun, like I have no complaints about that. It was awesome. But um, so I go there and then I start hearing about COVID, but everybody described it as the cruise virus. They were like, everybody, there's just a bug going around on cruise ships. So oh. the, cru- the cruise ships were quarantined. And that's like January. So then February goes, people are still talking about it, but it hadn't really hit yet. And then March, March is when people start talking about it. And I don't take anything seriously, or not anything, some things. I don't take something seriously unless my dad takes it seriously. Because my dad is the king of thinking differently than everybody else. Like sometimes when stuff's going around, my dad's like, this is not a big deal. And he ends up being right. So then <laughs> with COVID, um, I thought it was like a cruise thing. And then um, a lot of my friends that were studying abroad started getting sent home. And I'm like, what is going on? And then March of 2020, my job that I was working at at the time, they're like, if you want to go home, go home. And I don't know why. I always have to be the last one standing. So I was like, nah, I'm just going to stay here. It's like nothing's going on. And then so my dad, I get home one day. He's like, you need to work from home. He's like, this is, hmm. this is getting ba- this is getting bad. And I was still living at home at the time. So I was like, okay. So then <laughs> I filled out the paper. I grabbed my, grabbed my laptops, my stuff. And then I was home. My sister was home. And my parents were working from home. So it's us four. And then my brother, um, he went to the military at 17. So he, he had been gone for like seven, eight years. He lives on his own up in Maryland now. But um, so it was the four of us in the house. And uh, that, summer was, that summer was really rough for me. It wasn't, it wasn't just the isolation because then there were a lot of like racial tensions and stuff. And so a lot of people that I thought were not my friends, but like at least cared about me, didn't. And so when all that stuff kind of flared. You talk um, about when, uh, when the man got murdered up in Minnesota and then that yeah. summer it got, it got crazy, right? Mm-hmm. George Floyd, Breonna George Taylor. Floyd, yeah, Breonna Taylor. Yeah, Ahmaud Aubrey, all of them. It just one after just dropping. One after one after one. And I remember waking up one morning after George Floyd and I get on Twitter and I think it's Minneapolis, I think. I can't remember. Yeah, that's right. Or Minnesota somewhere. Minneapolis. And uh it was on fire. And I was like, What? And so it's like seven AM and I run upstairs to my parents' room and I'm like, They set it on fire. They set the city on fire. And my mom and my dad, they were like, Yeah. That's the same thing they did for in nineteen ninety seven. I think it's Rodney King. Yeah, Rodney um, King and ninety ninety seven. Yeah, and, and my dad was like, "Man, this is this has happened before." I was so I was it's more so like nineteen ninety three. That was like nineteen ninety two or ninety three. Okay, right, then, uh, okay. Yeah, I remember it being like in the in the nineties, and then I was like, "They set it on, they set it on fire," and I was I was so like shocked, and then everything started getting looted. It's just, just so much pain, and so I was like in my head, I was like, "Okay, I got I got to do something." I was like, "I don't know what I can do," so I started following all of these activists and all of these, uh, all these activism pages. And I just became engrossed and I was like, I'm not going to be a activist, I'm going to be the activist. And so I started posting all this stuff and then sending petitions all the time and just doing all this stuff, anything I could from, from my own home. And, um, but then it, it got really dark because 
I would see and I would hear the way that people would speak about anybody that was a different race than them. Anybody black, anybody white, anybody uh, Hispanic, or just like anyone ever just saying these horrible things. And I'm like, why are we all, I remember getting down on my knees and praying and crying. I'm like, God, why do we all hate each other so much? And I was like, why? this is painful. I was like, I don't know if I'm being dramatic, but like, it, this is painful watching everybody hate each other. And so it was, it took a big toll on my mental health, constantly trying to prove to people that as a black person, I have value as a human being. Mm-hmm. Like, it just, it felt so odd because like there were people that I thought that cared about me that kind of like questioned all of it. And it just, it felt, it felt, it felt like just, it didn't feel right. And so, um, just all this hateful stuff and then it just got too much. And then COVID I downloaded a news app specifically to see like the rise and fall of COVID, like where COVID was, where it was high, where it was low, what was going on. And so I, um, like I did that and it started giving me a lot of anxiety. That's what it was. I started getting really anxious because it was COVID. And then some apparently like, unfortunately somebody else got killed and then something was on fire and then somebody was protesting and it was just everywhere all the time. So much hatred and pain and violence and it just got overwhelming. And so I, I shut it all down. Like, uh, I, uh, I unfollowed all those pages. I, de- I deleted that news app and I just kind of like sat there with Jesus. I was like, what is going on? (laughs) And um, so it just kind of kept going. And then um, I was still, I was working full-time. I worked in healthcare up until I started being a full-time writer. Um, I did, I did like benefits and insurance companies. Uh, I worked in the insurance department um, at a durable medical equipment company. We like specialize like making wheelchairs and stuff. So I was on the computer making sure that people's insurance paid for those wheelchairs and stuff. So that was me. And then um, I worked a different medical, just in the medical field on the administrative side. And uh, I knew I was doing like good work, but it wasn't who I was because I would be sitting at work, (laughs) um, like doing work, but then I had a dual screen. So the other screen, I was writing a book. And then on the other screen, I was like, um, turning in like projects and stuff like that. So I knew, I knew who I was. I knew I was a creative, but I was like, um, there's a lot of pressure from like my parents to not do that. And then, um, just like that, that general, that overall fear of like, can I do this? And if I can do this, how do I do this? And I was big into, I was big into purpose. Like the, the kind of pastors I was listening to and following, they were like, it was a little less legalistic than what I grew up with, but it was still a little salvation by works because it was like, I was doing these things and I would hear these pastors say things like, whatever you do, make sure God's in it. Make sure you're, you have to make absolutely certain that you are in the presence of God before you do anything. And so I would have, I would freeze and just not do anything because I would be anxious about whether or not I was in the presence of God. I would be anxious about whether or not I had God in my life because I was like, if I engage, if I engage in anything that isn't strictly like straight from the Bible, (laughs) then it is bad and evil and I am evil and I am, I am not saved. And so my relationship with God became one of like anxiety and fear. 
So how did, uh, how did you link up with us? Tell me how that happened. Joelle. <laughs> um, we've always been, we went to the same high school and I have always just been absolutely infatuated with her. I think she's fabulous. So, um, we were, we were always like talking on and off and she was, she just, she always used to tell me, she's like, I see something, you know, I sense something about you. And I was, we were always talking about just like the gospel. And I was like, I told her, I was like, Joelle, there's something more, there's something more. And I was always telling her that. I was like, there's something more than this. And she's like, hmm, interesting you asked. So here's this link. And so she sent me the link to the Friday Night Bible Study, um, the one that the Florida boys used to run. Oh, yeah. Nick Cameron's act. Yeah. And I think you were on that first one, too. But um, so she was like, "That's I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued that you feel that way. Come here. And so she sent me the link, and I joined. And uh, that's how I found you guys. So what did you, uh, as you show up to this link, and I remember there were many times that we were on there till, well, you're on the East Coast, so it was super late for you. It was late for me. I was in Central Time Zone, but it was, what were the things, describe to me your experience as you start to, to hear what the gospel is and how that starts affecting you. I was excited <laughs> because I was looking for more. And I was like, there's got to be more than this. There's got to be a, a Jesus. If I held on to that belief, I know you are good and I know you are loving. So where is it? Where is that behind all this guilt and fear and stuff? And so I was excited when I started hearing the stuff that you guys were talking about. I was like, this is then finally for the first time ever. I used to not be able to read the Bible without having this like ball of like anxiety in my stomach. Because I was like, any sinner, any bad thing, any bad thing that is mentioned in the Bible, that's me. And so I would, I was terrified of the Bible. I would still read it because I'm like, hopefully if I sneak in here, if I sneak into the holy place, he'll like let me in for a little while. <laughs> so I would read it and uh, I was, but I was terrified. I used to, I used to finish reading the Bible just so anxious. But then listening to Love Reality, the gospel started to make sense to me for the first time ever. Like I was reading the gospel, I was like, oh, that's what he meant. <laughs> and it just, uh, it all made sense. And so that more, that little that little ache in my chest, that I was like, there's gotta be more. There's gotta be love here, there's gonna be something. I stopped aching for it the second that I found love reality. And the second that I found that you guys were just preaching the gospel as it is. And um, yeah. What was the first like new thought that came in? Like I used to think like, I used to think the gospel was this, but now it's this. Um, where it positioned me, if that makes sense. Is, um, I used to think that like I am this horrible, wretched, unloved sinner, and that I have to like continuously ask for forgiveness and ask for love, and I had to make absolutely certain that God was with me before I went anywhere. But then the inability to have that absolute certainty made me anxious. And it's just this kind of cycle. But uh, I can't remember who it was. I want to say it was one of the Florida boys. I want to say Nick. But uh, they were telling the story of the prodigal son. And they mentioned, they're like, everybody talks about him being prodigal, about him being this wayward person. Nobody ever talks about that he was still son when he got back. He was always son. He remained what the father made him. And that hit me like a ton of bricks. And I was like, wait a minute. I'm loved this whole time. Like I, I, I value 
I'm valued. There's somebody out there that loves me. And I used to think that, I used to think the father was like exasperated with me, tired of me. Like, oh, here goes, like, I was always the one out of the 99. <laughs> I was like, I, I gotta go get her again. I gotta go get her again. And then he would get irritated. I gotta go pick her up again. But uh, yeah, I used, to, I used to think the father was exhausted to save me. Yeah. And, uh, but hearing Love Reality, I was like, wait a minute. Hold on. <laughs> this is kind of cool. When you started to understand freedom from sin, was that something that you think that you had been dealing with and like, oh, this new understanding changes it? Or was it more about the healing that you had in Christ? Um, I don't, I'm not sure. I feel like somewhere deep, in my heart, I knew that this is what it was, or at least I hoped, because I was always looking for that more. I was like, there's gotta be something other than this. And uh, so I think that uh, knowing, it was like an identity thing, knowing I was loved. Um, I don't know if that properly answers the question. I didn't feel, I didn't feel like a change. I kind of felt like I was looking at something through a window that had like frost on it or condensation. Like I was already looking in the right direction. I was already looking through the right window, but then somebody took their hand and kind of wiped it off. And I could finally see it clearly for the first time. And that's a, that's kind of what it felt like. So I think I went onto your Instagram back then and I was looking at like your sad girl vibes and Mm -hmm. All that sort of thing. <laughs> and then as time went on, it seemed like your, what you were creating started to change. Mm -hmm. And it was reflecting more of this peace and this joy that you had from something that was deep within you. Can you describe, yeah. do you, did you know that your content and stuff was changing? Or were you, were you just like, oh, I'm just creating and this is what's in me right now. Um, it wasn't a conscious thought, but, uh, I wasn't like, Oh, I see myself too. I never, I never see myself changing. Somebody always tells me, they're like, you're different. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So, um, I, uh, it, it was just no longer what I knew. If that makes sense. Like I was, I don't even recognize all that pain anymore. I don't like I, I love I love her like I'm like you you needed a hug back then and I'm sorry I couldn't, couldn't give it to you but I don't I don't even see all that pain all that sadness it's it's nowhere near me it's not what fills me and uh so I didn't really see my content changing but um it was like I was I was being it was like my cup was being filled with something different so what I overflowed with was something different. And um, knowing that I was loved and that I was free gave me the freedom to, to have joy and to have peace and to all these things because I craved those things, but I was so terrified that I didn't deserve them or that, or no, one of my biggest fears that I had previously when I was dead, dead me, dead Jania. I used to believe that I was, A, I was a fraud, and that I was so good at being a fraud 
that I was convincing myself that I was authentic. I was like, I am so evil that I have convinced myself that I am good. And it was just this whole, this whole, I was terrified that I was a fraud, that I wasn't really a Christian, that I wasn't really a believer. And uh, um, then the switch of like now knowing that what makes me who I am is whose I am. Hmm. I belong to Jesus. And because I belong to God, all of them, Holy Spirit, everybody. And now that what they did lives in me, it is almost prideful of me to think of myself as anything else. And like to not see that because I am, I am authentic and I am real and I am love because somebody loved me. Not because of anything I did and because of anything I created. It was because of what he did and laying my life down in that and for that changed everything for me. It's whereas, I guess the best thing I would describe it is what's being poured into me, what my cup is being filled with. When I filled my cup with my own works, like all this mess came out, that's what overflowed. But like filling myself with Jesus and knowing that Jesus loves me, that's what overflows. I, being loved frees me up to be love. Mm. And it just goes in and out and around every time. It's so cool to see. Um, like, I love toppling verses on top of each other. Like, where people always talk about, like, narrow is the way. And then there's another verse in the gospel that Jesus says, I am the way. And so it talks about how God is love. And then when you get to, um, it says, like, love is patient and kind and stuff like that. It talks about they're interchangeable and you get the nature of the father so much. So I would say, yeah, it kind of like a, kind of like a cup. Like I know, I know knowing, knowing who I am and knowing that he loves me, knowing that he just loves me so much. He's absolutely delighted in me, gives me the peace and the freedom to be love mm-hmm. and, uh, be who I actually am. And, uh, yeah. Who are you actually? Who's the real Jania? <laughs> um, I'd say super, super loving, um, very kind, righteousness of God. Um, I'd say just like yeah, free, complete, whole, lacking nothing. Um, I don't know the the best way to answer that, but I am, I'm very joyful and peaceful and happy and creative and very easy. Like just, just easy going. I love, I love being around people that feel like an exhale. Like I love that. I love like peace. Um, I'm not a confrontational person. I'm not, I'm not an angry person. I was never angry. Like <laughs> I've never been angry. And yet when I was younger, I was, I was mad. <laughs> like not, not now, not now. I was never, I was never all of those things. It's just a lie that I was believing. But yeah. <laughs> do you, uh, do you happen to have any poetry that you've written since Understanding Freedom or since... Yes, I've got a, a ton. <laughs> I write it all the time. <laughs> Could you? Uh, do you mind sharing one of them with us? Do you have any anything near? Um, here's one. It's more so a song. I'm not gonna sing it. I'll read it. <laughs> um, it says, "Sweetness we seek from the vine, water he turns into wine, manna for the hungry, a well for the thirsty, death for a free new life, ease we find for the burden." 
rest we crave for the soul. Grace for the lowly, peace for the holy, by his stripes I'm made whole. Tis so sweet, here in this love we know, this is how our freedom story goes. Precious King on Calvary, Christ shed his blood for me. It is well with my soul. Dang. <laughs> so that's that's one of them. It's more it's it's a song more than poetry, but yeah. So as we wrap up, I just want to ask you this: if if you could go back to that sweet girl who was speaking so much death over herself because she was believing the the evil thoughts that weren't from her but were you know put in there by the enemy. <laughs> yeah. What, what would you tell that girl? Oof, you're making me cry. Um, <laughs> I would hug her. I'd hug her so tight, and I would tell her that I know that there are a lot of things that are probably coming after you right now, but if you would just lift your eyes, you would see how loved you are. And uh, there is somebody, there's someone, the one, that loves you. You are, You will never be more loved than you are right now. You are so, so loved and so seen and so known like it's insane. You'll 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 never get enough of this because I know that this is what you were looking for. I know that all you ever wanted was to be loved, and now you are. And not only are you loved, you are loved to the highest extent, the fullest degree. Here you are at the mountaintop with every spiritual blessing beneath you. This is it. This is all you could ever need and all you could ever be. And you don't know. You don't have to be mad all the time. It's okay. <laughs> somebody, somebody loves you. And not just somebody, the author of love, love himself, is just absolutely obsessed with you. And, uh, and hug her somewhere. Because <laughs> she needed it. I love hugs. <laughs> if you see her walking by a mirror and she can't look into that mirror, what would you tell her about being able to see herself in that mirror? Hmm. I think I'd, I'd, I'd tell her what she, I'd tell her what she sees. I'd have her, I'd have her practice. Just kind of like, I know, don't avoid it completely. Just keep looking, keep looking. And you will see, you will see what the father sees. You will see somebody beautiful and you will see somebody worthy and you will see somebody loved. And uh, just how important and pivotal that is. Like you, if you just keep, just keep looking, you'll see what the father sees. You'll see through the father's eyes. You're a blessing to me, Jania. You're, you're a testimony, and just seeing you walk this out, I remember hearing you and the confusion at first, and then the excitement, and uh, you're one of those, you couldn't get enough. Like, you were going to be yeah. the last one on the call, <laughs> you weren't leaving, and uh, how it's manifesting in your life is just beautiful, and so you're a beautiful person. You're fearfully and wonderfully made, and you're a testimony to me that God is love. So thank you for sharing your story with us uh, today. Yeah. Thank you for having me. This was cool. <laughs> I was so nervous. I, I was like, you're going to talk too much. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're awesome. Got me singing like glory. Yeah, it got me telling my story. Know that your love is pouring on me. And love is pouring on me. River flowing in and never ends. More than life, more than me, more than just pretend. And you can feel freedom from within. Free to fly, be the child that you always been. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to the show today. We would love it 
if you could share this so that people could hear uh, more of these stories. And a way you can do that is to rate us on Apple Podcasts. Give us a high rating. If, if you give us less than a five star, I'm inclined to believe that you're not really rocking with us. So give us a five star rating and, and throw a comment in there. If you're going to talk about us on social media, go ahead and use the hashtag death to life. And let's get that hashtag going. This podcast is a production of Love Reality. And if you want more information about Love Reality, go ahead and check us out at lovereality.org. This show's produced by Tyler Morrison and Katie Prusha. The sound and editing is done by Addison Collingsworth and Eddie Cornejo. And then the Johnny on the spot is Annabelle Harper. And the artwork is done by Felix Gassman. Thank you so much for listening. Love y'all. Appreciate y'all. Thank you.